0: Viral. Olá a todos, a convidada desta semana é a minha amiga Nanette Pavelic, Ela é uma professora e também uma criadora de conteúdos norte-americana e ela está conosco desde os Estados Unidos em direto e em exclusivo aqui para o nosso podcast. Hello, Nanette, how are you? Hello, Bernardo. It's nice to be here. Very nice to have you finally on one of my podcasts. Excellent. I'm so excited. It's been a while. It's been a while. Um, I'm really uh, happy uh, to see you again. Um, uh, It's really nice uh, to uh, see that you are well first of all um and um, um yeah um we i don't we don't we don't see each other for like two years or something i believe
1: wow time has a way doesn't it it just flies yeah yeah but we, we from time
0: to time we we always um exchange we catch up them. yeah we catch up from we from catch up and time. we just pick up
1: we just pick up where we left off
0: that's right. That's right. Uh, Nanette, for people who don't know you, um, tell tell us a little bit about
1: your about your story, about your path. Well, I think that my path is is is, a, is like a lot of people's lives. You have you start making plans, and it all goes in a different direction. <laughs> so, for the last many many years, I've been. In several different roles, anywhere between teaching, content creation, where you and I met in Berlin working together. And and so now I'm actually teaching high school German in the United States in Utah, which I always have to qualify as two states right of California. And I'm roughly 45 minutes an hour south of Salt Lake City, the main city. So I'm in a smaller area. Yeah. So I'm not in a big city anymore like I was in Berlin.
0: Yeah, we, we you mentioned we, we actually were together. We we met a couple of years ago uh, in in Berlin. Uh, we worked briefly. Um, we you, you then you you, you went to, to the U.S. Um, uh, you left the company. Then I left the company too. Um, but we we um, developed our friendship. We had a shared passion for creative things, and um, you know our shared passion for stories and telling stories. Um, that was
1: my favorite part. You were just such an ideas person, and and so was I. And so we we like to collaborate and say, how can we put this together? And one of my favorite things is that I'd you know, write down all these ideas that I'd come to you, and it was never a this isn't possible. It was it was something was always possible, and I just really enjoyed that about working with you. It was, yeah, it was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, let's try to figure that out <laughs> and try to do the best we yeah. can. Uh, and one of the one of the, the the moments back in berlin that i will never forget is that we were there uh we were living work one day uh, together and it was a fa- fairly nice day for for berlin day if we can say and you convinced me to ride a bike and i um the last time i was on
1: a bike was for like 20 years ago uh tell us that story that's right i remember I was telling you about sort of the way that I get that I was getting around Berlin. There's a bike share company called Mobike that I used a yes. lot. And yes. I had told you about there's these big orange bikes that are placed around the city and it's it's not very expensive to use them, you know, per hour. And I, I rode them a lot. so I talked to you about them and you said, oh, I haven't been on a bike in like 20 years. I said, what? We have to get you on a bicycle. I said, we're going to do this today. <laughs> we did. It was such and, a good time. And you just and went with we it. Went. You just went with yeah. it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and we we went singing. I uh, uh, I, I want to ride my bicycle. I, I want to ride my bike my over bike. the streets yeah. of Berlin. <laughs> that was that was crazy. Um, so um, you you mentioned you live in in uh, Utah. Um, yes, a small town. Um, how uh, uh, we we need to talk about this? Of course, we are living through a very strange times these are. days. You live in the small community how are you living uh, with with all of this
1: i think for those of us in smaller towns it's i mean i think everyone's affected but it's a little bit less for us right i don't see a lot of people all the time and in fact with uh, teaching high school classes everything's been moved online i have a job i feel lucky that i'm able to still work and earn a paycheck and still be able to do that from home I look out my window, I have a window just to the right of it and I have this beautiful mountainscapes and so I just, I have a lot of inspiration, visual inspiration and I feel pretty lucky. Even when I go to, you know, the supermarket, people are wearing masks. I have to laugh a little bit sometimes when I see people wearing the masks that are only covering their mouths and I feel like doing a huge public service announcement saying you have to cover your nose too. But but I think it would feel a lot different, you know, as people in New York and there, so many people live in a small uh, a small space or there are just thousands of people in a very small amount of space. I don't even know how to say it better. We just we have a lot of wide open space where I live and even was it last week or a week and a half ago before Utah closed its national parks, I drove four and a half hours south and spent some time hiking in Escalante. I just went off the grid. There is no internet connection. I have a rooftop tent on my Subaru, and I just popped it open and camped in the middle of nowhere. In Utah, we have these really uh, special national parks where you can just go out and be in nature, and there are hiking trails. And I went with a friend of mine, and uh, we, we just camped for a week. And we didn't see. I mean, I think I saw one one day, the most people that I saw was four, five people in a family, and they were crossing a river that we were crossing. So our situation's different. I'm not saying that we're not at risk, but there's just not as many people. I mean, I looked at the the statistics yesterday. Utah is a little smaller than Germany. So Germany is maybe, I think Utah is about 60% of the size of Germany, somewhere around there. Germany has over 80 million people. We have three and a half million. So just a lot more wide open space but everyone's being cautious. I mean, I, don't, I have to laugh to this, this time of uncertainty. I go outside I make sure I wash my hands a lot. I have, you know, I have hand sanitizer that I'm bringing everywhere. It's in my apartment. It's in my car. I make sure I douse my hands with it before I touch my steering wheel. And then all of a sudden, as soon as I go out in public, that's when my nose itches. That's when I feel like I, I have to touch my face. And then everyone's realizing how much they actually touch their face in a day. So yeah. it's just changing yeah. everyone's lives and how they look at the world.
0: It's, it's, it's really crazy. Um, you, you, you you mentioned you, you love the outdoors. Yeah. I, I always, uh, for the time that we, we, we've met, uh, I always remembered you as the person who go out and love the outdoors. Do you think this is something... People are going to cherish even more from from today on, which is going out and just, you know, passing a day or two uh, outside their houses and in the mountain or somewhere.
1: Absolutely. I think that the people who can get outside are going to try to do it. And it's it's interesting because as 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 the public, we've been getting a lot of conflicting information. Right. First, it was stay home, but you can go out into nature. And now it's don't go to the national park areas. They're all closing because inevitably you have to get you know gasoline or petrol on the way and you're still in contact with people and they're just worried that people from the city are going to go out to the smaller areas and spread the virus even more yeah but i also live in an area where some people don't even believe that the virus is true and so that's another thing it's sort of an information war where some people they said you can't tell me what to do you can't make me wear a mask in public or I've heard people refer to it as co uh, co fib as it's like a big fib or a big lie. and so it's it's just negotiating a lot of a lot of boundaries right now with information, with space and but I do see that people are if they can get outside, they're going into nature. they're appreciating being outside of the walls in their house or their apartment.
0: Um, do you think that um? And you, you are uh, someone who travels a lot, um, of course not now. Um, I know you have something that I I, I gave you uh, a couple of years yes. ago and you want to show uh, also a yes. cabinet that you have in your house with, with a lot of stuff that you have from all over the world. Do you think that this is going to change um, something about traveling, something about the way we behave as a oh, society?
1: Oh, certainly, certainly. So first I'll show you, um, the last time I saw you, you gave me this. I would love for you to explain to people yeah. what this is too. But I just loved it it's so colorful, and I have this cabinet at home that's filled with my—I call them travel treasures—and this is in there. It it gets to it gets to live in there. And every time I look at it, I'm always so I'm just reminded of the good times that we had. Tell tell people about this. I loved it. I loved okay. it when you got this for me. Sure
0: so to to my fellow Portuguese I don't need to, it, that needs no introduction but for for everybody else so that's uh, called Gaud is one of um, our we can call landmarks it's uh, one uh, of the symbols of Portugal uh, it's from Barcelos, uh, from a town here in Portugal um, up in the north in the center of Portugal uh, mid center. Uh, up center uh, and um it's uh, it's one of our symbols uh, of portugal uh, so i wanted to give that as a uh, as a symbol of uh, of cordiality and to offer my country to you and i've well. never
1: been to portugal it's still
0: on my list that's 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 very <laughs> bad that's very bad on yours you should know you should that that should be one of the first things that you should do
1: once this is over is to come here to portugal we should invite that. you and i dare you okay. to come you know i always tell people don't threaten me with a good time <laughs> and I'll be, I'll be the person to yeah, go you know, here
0: in portugal we always have a very good a very good uh weather here so all year year round so you can you can come whenever i you would want.
1: love to and i did tell you that i would come and i meant it but right now it's hard to travel even i mean my life is Like I said, it's been affected, too, where I don't see my students in the classroom. And I had a trip to Mexico planned. I was so excited for spring break. I was supposed to be sipping fresh fruit cocktails on the beach and snorkeling and scuba diving and and I didn't get to go but that's but you know you make adjustments you try to make the best of the situation that's when I went to southern Utah and drove with a friend of mine we quarantined for two weeks we were really regimented about it and then we went camping we built our own fires and we hauled our own water into these areas where it was just cascading red and orange rock for 600 feet high we'll have to do the meter conversion for that but it was There was no one out there and you see these beautiful natural arches in the rock that took millions of years to form and this is where you feel like you're so small in comparison to the bigger things at work in the universe
0: i don't know the metric conversion to that but i i do know that i want to visit utah and i told you that many times i for sure I i will i will go to utah very very soon as soon as so did this get sorted we have a creative uh, project we have a
1: creative project and some interviews we to do, do have many i know we have this many l- ideas long list of ideas, ideas. yes I,
0: I i wanted to do i mentioned to you i wanted to do something a, a documentary about um the the, the yeah. immigrants and people that um live in the u.s because the u.s is built uh from people from all over the world and i wanted to do that but uh yeah something always comes up and now this uh came up and this uh really uh yeah. destroyed everything but destroyed for a while uh that's what i mean um of course it's going to happen some some sometime soon uh and it's, it's just like that quote from, from the fight club you know losing all hope um was freedom so maybe it will come out come up you know even with stronger than ever we hope
1: so you know and and that's again where i go back to i just feel really lucky that um that i'm okay in this time not everyone has the same situation and people are really struggling. They're, re- they're struggling financially. They're struggling with their mental health, you know, people not being able to go out to see friends. I think one of the things I really miss is I miss giving people a hug. I'm a, I'm a hug, huggy type of a person. I, I just love like reaching my arms out and connecting with my friends and people that I enjoy being around. And even my mother, I see my mother and we keep, we keep our distance. I haven't hugged my own mother in weeks. And it feels very strange. It feels like a, a human part of you just drops and falls off. Yeah. 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 So I miss that a lot.
0: It's really, really weird.
1: Yeah. Um, do you think that um,
0: you also as a content creator and as an idea person, do you think that also is going to be, um, uh, that, that also is going to change um, in the future for companies, for people who seek for like script writers? Um, do you think that people are going to need different types of content from now on?
1: I think so. I mean, I, for a lot of reasons, right? Maybe some people now are realizing there are things that they could have actually done at home that they didn't have to go into the office for. So on a positive spin, maybe that's that's something that they can change. But then on another front, like even like, creating a curriculum and content for, for students who are learning. I, I teach German, introductory German. And so... Grundstufe deutsch as they would say introductory german or ground level german and i'm having to think about the ways that i communicate and present content to my students right it's no longer a face-to-face thing and there are a lot of educational platforms right now uh, software like loom l-o-o-m that they've been free to educators and it's been it's been wonderful it's a screen recording software where you can record your little powerpoint but you can still see the image of your teacher and so it's just It's thinking about presenting content and how do I reach the person? How can I do this where it's not just some dry PowerPoint that I send their way? How can I make it animated? How can I make this stuff come to life for people who are trying to learn? And so in education, that's definitely changing. I guess it depends on the company of what the product is, Um, but I think people, people are being very creative on how can I get this across and everyone's having to use different resources. Like I said, whether it's new software or just thinking outside of the box, like how could I do this now? Restaurants, for example, a lot of in the U.S., instead of just closing down, they have a drop-off and pickup situation where you can order and someone will drop off, um, either drop it at your door, the delivery service, or you drive to the restaurant, someone meets you outside and you pick up your, your box of food and then you go. And it's just we're're we're recon, we're reconstructing the way in which we handle our, our everyday business, our work business to see how can we still make things possible? How can we still create some sort of normalcy? Because people gravitate towards normalcy. That's what makes us feel grounded. That's what makes us feel alive. And I think everyone's reaching for that right now.
0: Um, Nanette, what, um, what is the community um, uh, what, what, what does the community around you looks like? Uh, your students, your, your school. Um, for us to have a picture of that, uh, how do you explain uh, your life in Utah?
1: So, my life in Utah is so different than some of the other places I've lived. I've, I've lived, so I used to teach for the University of Maryland, and I used to teach American soldiers that were actually stationed overseas. So I've lived in Japan, I've lived in Germany, I've lived in Kuwait, Afghanistan, Iraq, all over the world. Right now, my living situation is quite different, right? When I was in the Middle East and teaching soldiers, I was living in a tent. Now I live in an apartment. I live in a pretty suburban area, pretty white, middle-class suburban area. And there are apartment apartment complexes around me. There's Mount Timpanogos that I can see right outside of my window, which is why I position my desk where it is. So that when I, I need a moment to think, I lean back in my chair and I look to the right and there's the mountains for me. Um, I live in a small town called Vineyard, which has about 10,000 people. My mom and my older brother and his family, they live sort of 20 minutes by car, uh, south of where I'm at in Mapleton, Utah. And that also has maybe 10, 15,000 people. And I grew up just a little north of there, about 15 minutes from where I live now. In Springville, Utah, my parents moved to their moved there when I was a teenager, and my childhood was in California, and that has maybe thirty thousand people, and so they're just smaller areas. You think about that compared to uh, cos- cosmopolitan cities that I've lived in, in, in Amsterdam or in in Berlin, and so there are a lot of wide open spaces i live in an apartment complex but most of the people around me they live in freestanding houses right so they're not connected to each other and there's a lot of there's a lot of elbow room here in the united states where i live and it's yeah like i said it's a primarily white middle class area pretty conservative area so but I, i always tell people i never moved here for the politics i moved here for the nature we have so many national parks and i can i can just drive in my car 10 or 15 minutes and i'm just in the mountains and i feel it's connected in a good way from people when i when i want to when i want to see what bird when i want to see birds when i want to hear what they sound like i can just take a moment sit and watch watch nature around me and how it unfolds and it's really beautiful i think it takes you out of your own psyche your own problems yeah
0: absolutely yeah uh, th- that's really really awesome uh, I I also live in a in a very small town, a little bit um, bigger than yours. We are about eighteen thousand, oh, yeah. and um, yeah, well, we we we'll, we'll live more or less the same situation here. We don't have a lot of, um, you know, we we we'll, we'll live in the middle of the of, of nature, and that's really special, special in these moments uh, too. Um, you mentioned that you are. Uh, uh, taught in um, and you had experiences yes. in um, uh, uh, with the army uh, and you were around the world. Um, t- t- tell us a bit about that. Uh, I always uh, thought about that. That could be re- really a really interesting experience. So um, when was it that? was,
1: it was a phenomenal experience. You know, I it was, it was one of the best things that I ever did with my life. I was studying my master's degree at. The university of california santa barbara and i used to go to these symposiums and on campus about the wars in iraq and afghanistan and i i remember a lot of a lot of political ideas coming up and people being very critical about the sort of more military industrial complex of the united states we have a large military and that comes with certain consequences both positive and negative negative. and so I, I remember going to these symposiums and then later I found an opportunity with the University of Maryland to go over to military areas and teach university classes. Right, University is typically really expensive in the United States. And so this was a situation where I could teach basic humanities classes, uh, introduction to writing, introduction to sort of academic writing, literature, things like that, that all any person going to a university in the United States, the classes they all have to take. And so it was just easier for the university to transport me to different military installations so that service members could still work on an education. And I thought, you know, if we're going to come to a common understanding as people, we need to make sure that education is available. If people expect soldiers to make good decisions and to be critical thinkers and thoughtful, they need to have access to this education. And so I went. And and that's what, that's what I felt that Politics aside, whether someone was more right-wing or left-wing, I thought all of us could get behind education. And so that's what I did. I taught many classes. Sometimes in a semester I would teach six different classes and I was working all the time. But I had such a grand sense of purpose. My first uh, assignment was in Kosovo where I was for six months. And then as peacekeeping forces were drawing down there, I was told that there were 29,000-plus soldiers in Iraq and if I wanted to go there. And I really did. I said I... I was a little worried you know all the images that you see on the news but i wanted to go there because i knew that i could make a difference i knew that i could spread good classes and and education and have that be a possibility because some of my students took their first First. college class their first university class in that area and and i'm not sure that they would have done that if it wasn't there and if it wasn't available so As normally, university is quite expensive for American students, but the university that I taught for had a contract with the Department of Defense that paid for those classes and so any soldier could take any class for free. And they didn't have to spend thousands upon thousands of dollars to take that class. So it was a really unique opportunity that they had to work on their university education while they were deployed, and at this time, more frequent deployment rotations. People were, were leaving to different conflict zones regularly. So it was really disruptive in people's not only not only their family life, but certainly in their educational path. And so they were just able to take these classes without having to pay a lot of money for them. It was it was a good benefit to them to start their education and continue their education. Some of my students after that, we've some of them have kept in touch and they said, you know, if it wasn't for your class, I would have never gone to university and I would have never had opportunities beyond the military for a career that I could have pursued later. So it just changed a lot of perspectives. And we talked about, I, had, I taught speech and communication classes, like I said, writing classes. We talked about the war. We talked about the everyday. We talked about consequences, both good and bad for everyday actions. I mean, it was... It was a really unique experience to be there talking about a variety of topics in that time. So I started in 2010 and finished my last assignment in Germany in in 2015. And then two years after that, I taught online classes for military students and just thought it was a really... um, it was a really special opportunity to connect with a lot of people that and a culture that I had never been a part of and then there were some times when I I landed in Afghanistan I thought I can't believe they let like just let me in here you know I, I have no military experience I have no idea what I'm doing but I am bringing education to this area and our education center was a trailer or a tent sometimes my classrooms were just a tent and I had a little whiteboard and you just you made a lot out of nothing and it, it was a lot of creativity, for sure.
0: And I'm sure for them that was really, really special. Uh, in the middle of, of chaos, sometimes uh, creativity is
1: um, that little yeah, star. Yeah, it was something. It is absolutely, it? and it was something. I think to get their minds off of where they were, it was a productive outlet. As I always said, just something where they could channel their energy. And I had students in my writing class write about their wartime experiences and as you know as a as an educator i thought i can't believe i'm reading this kind of stuff like it's you're just privy to stories you would have never been able to read before well,
0: well, well is there any was was there a, was a place where
1: where you would never forget uh, any place oh, in particular tough. i mean i feel like all of all of the places that like iraq and afghanistan the north of afghanistan in mazar al sharif i remember there was lo- cascading mountains too and i'm always sort of drawn to the mountains and it because it just gives you per- it gives you perspective it gives you perspective you are small in comparison to what towers above you and that's one of the more beautiful places i think it also it was it was a nato base so i, I Um, So there were a lot of NATO forces around and I and I spoke with the the German army was there I got I just asked questions I was able to sort of move between a lot of different social circles because I was a civilian There was no hierarchy for me It didn't matter who I talked to and so I was always just asking questions of what people were doing and And I suppose that place was very different. I wasn't there as long I was only there for two and a half months because I had just come from Kandahar in the south And I was there seven and a half months mazar sharif was special because it felt more tranquil. In Kandahar, we had rocket attacks that that happened daily. You know, the um, rockets would fly over on the base and try to hit uh, the American uh, troops, flight line, cut off supply lines. And so we'd hear the alarm go off. I'd be teaching. I mean, that was another thing. I'm teaching class and we hear the alarm and we're running to the bunker and and after a while, it became so routine. I just ended up teaching class in the bunker at times because you'd have to stay there for a while until you got that all clear. And so I just said, let's grab our books. Let's go. And we just we made it work. We made it work. But when I was in mazar sharif we weren't oh. rocketed daily. And that was something that, I mean, I, you just get used to it after a while when you're in that area. It, and everyone around you is in the same situation, or at least on the base. I don't want to say that, People outside the base were in the same situation because that's that's not true, and that's really different, and it was very dangerous for a lot of people. But when I went to the north, there were no rockets incoming hitting the base, and I thought, oh, it's there's it's peaceful. And it felt peaceful, relatively what I'm saying. And then then I I got, I, I had the opportunity to talk to different um different soldiers in different armies and how the difference even between how German soldiers are perceived at home versus American soldiers. And so I never felt like this was a huge nationalistic endeavor. It was more do what you can in the days that you have and do something productive, do something positive, because I don't think anyone thinks yeah. wartime is... Wartime, I think most people can agree that wartime is so disruptive on many levels. And so my goal was to do something positive, to contribute to something that people could come out of it knowing more improving and becoming at least trying to be better people
0: it's... absolutely i i and i'm sure that if there was a more democratic way back back then to have <laughs> access to podcasts you would be a star right now <laughs> to tell stories and recording people i'm sure of that um Nanette, we are running out of our time right now. I asked you, uh, uh, as I'm um, asking our, yes. uh, our guests to pick up a little bit of poetry, um, and I picked something for for you. So um, I picked something for, from Bernard Shaw, from Man and Superman. So uh, I will go first, and uh, I know you ha- that you wanted to uh, decide a little bit uh, out of the blue. I know you have tons of books around you, so you just picked one and just go for it. So I picked this one for you. Um, I think it it matches the times that we live in, but also the times that are to come, and I think these are very important. So I will go first, and then I'll I'll leave you to the honors of to to end to end this uh, to end our conversation. So here it goes. This is the true joy in life, the being used for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one, the being a force of nature instead of a feverish, selfish little clod of ailments and grievances complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. I am of the opinion that my life belongs to the whole community, and as long as I live, it is my privilege to do for it wherever I can. I want to be thoroughly used up when I die, for the harder I work, the more I live. I rejoice in life for its own sake. Life is no brief candle for me. It is a sort of of splendid torch which I have got got hold for the moment, and I have to make it burn as bright as possible before I hand it on to future generations.
1: I love that. Tell Tell us, why did you pick that? I don't know. Take that.
0: I really don't know. Uh, I I always loved Bernard Shaw, uh, George Bernard Shaw. And, um, uh, yeah, um, I always go to, you know, um, big poetry to describe moments of my life. And, uh, this one actually describes exactly what I feel, uh, right now. And, uh, when I, um, uh, knew that I was going to talk with you, I thought this was the mm-hmm. this this is the perfect moment uh and especially with everything that we are living right now. I think you know we need to work uh, hard, we need to get our um, get our all of our things together and uh, work hard and work for the community, work for the others and not just for ourselves and and be strong and 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 you know get our hands dirty Extend
1: that human yeah and extend that human experience where we go outside of ourselves I like absolutely that. yeah I like that a lot that's your. Turn. I also have a poem I'd like to share is it the time for it now yes okay of course. so I studied uh, a lot of 20th century German language literature and American literature and this is from Rainer Maria Rilke and so, in the German language poetry, but I will read the English translation. And like like you, I just I appreciate the way that words can provide an experience for us outside of ourselves, things beyond the everyday. And in this time where we're at home, one of the things that that's really beautiful if we have the opportunity to pick up a book, that's free travel, that's free. It's free for us to go to a different place outside of ourselves. So this one is called Evening. The German title would have been Abend. And here's the English translation. The sky puts on the darkening blue coat, held for it by a row of ancient trees. You watch, and the lands grow distant in your sight, one journeying to heaven, one that falls, and leave you not at home in either one, not quite so still, and dark as the darkened houses, not calling to eternity with the passion of what becomes a star each night and rises, and leave you inexpressibly to unravel your life with its immensity and fear, so that now bounded, now immeasurable, it is alternate, alternately stone in you and star.
0: That's beautiful.
1: I like That's that really nice. I like that there's different concepts of evening. However we're experiencing our evenings at the present moment, whether we have a balcony or not, or a book or a view or not, there's just ways to connect with um, with people from the past, our poets from the past, stories from the past. And who knows, maybe we'll we'll write our our own stories in this time if we have time, if we can. Because I know everyone's experience I'm is sure. different now.
0: I'm sure of that, and, I'm, and I, I always think of, of poetry or any kind of writing as a mm-hmm. way of healing. Uh, for me it is, uh, so, um, you know, um, that's uh, something, uh, for me it works, so uh, if, if someone is looking for something, just open the book and try if it works for you too, so uh, that's um, uh, a little bit of an advice. Um, Nanette, do you want to say anything uh, to the world uh, right now? I know we are going, we are in the middle of some sort of an uncertainty. and um, in uncertainty, everything is possible. Yeah. So what could be a message that you could bring to everybody around the world?
1: This is a time for compassion. I think a lot of people's stress levels are at different places. Not everyone has the situation. Not everyone can stay home. Be kind to other people and just give them the benefit of the doubt because you don't know their backstory. You don't know what's going on in their lives right now. You don't know if they have enough food to eat. You don't know if they just lost someone that they know from, to this virus. You don't know if they believe it or not. Just give people the benefit of the doubt. Be kind. Do the best that you can. Reach out connect with people. Take this as an opportunity, if you can, to connect to people that you haven't spoken to in a while and share your story.
0: Absolutely. Nanette, thank Thank you you. so much. I hope to see you very, very soon in person. Uh, Even if you come to Portugal or if I go to to the U.S. uh, And I hope you stay safe, you and your family. Um, I hope everything is going to be... um, Alright, and uh, thank you so much for thank you for being in, in my podcast. So and good to see uh, you and talk to you again. Thank you for the opportunity. You too, you too. Thank you so much. Bye. And bye Nanette. Bye-bye. Bye bye, thank you. Bye. Going viral.
1: Going viral.
0: Going viral.